Our Father, as we begin 2015, we acknowledge that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Uh, we are not the shepherd, but we're sure following the shepherd. We're thankful that we're not in this by ourselves. We thank you that we have a shepherd who created us, who created all that there is, who spoke the worlds into existence, who has a plan for the ages. Uh, we were in trouble, serious trouble, deep trouble because of sin and rebellion against you. Uh, it was a virus that in, has infected the entire world. And it's in, in every case, it's deadly. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you did a wonderful thing. Father, you sent Christ, who willingly came, laid aside his privileges, He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross, died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day, appeared to uh, Peter, appeared to the other disciples, appeared to over 500 at one time. Uh, you, you took the judgment that should have been on us, Lord Jesus, and you took it on yourself and you paid for it in full. You redeemed us, you saved us, and yes, now, because we have trusted in you alone, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Uh, that means that you have saved us and it means you keep on saving us. It means you provide for us daily. There are times... We don't have a clue how we're going to make it, and you get us through. You encourage us. When, when we are in the dark, you shed the light on the path and show us what's next. When we're completely discouraged and even on the verge of despair, you give us hope. Your eye is always upon us. We get exhausted, we get fatigued, and we just can't work anymore, and we fall asleep maybe in our chairs. And even as we're fall, falling asleep and just absolutely unconscious, your eye is upon us, your watchful eye. Because we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. You provide, you defend, you care, you encourage you're our sovereign keeper, our sovereign defender. What a great God you are. So because of you and because of who you are, we look forward to what you have planned for us in this coming year. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our futures. You've been so faithful to us in the past. Why would you stop being faithful now? So Lord, encourage us as we begin this new study. Speak to our hearts tonight. You know uh, every heart, you know every man, you know every situation. 
some of us desperately need a word from you tonight that is custom designed for where we are and what we are facing. That is an easy thing for you to do. And we know you'll do it through the power of your word as the Spirit of God teaches us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we uh, begin a new study in the Psalms. We've been in the Psalms before. We, we have never covered all 150 Psalms. We've touched on some. Uh, this uh, particular semester, we're going to touch on some more. If uh, I were to title this particular study, it, I, I think I would title it Psalms for the Trail or uh, Wisdom for the Trail. Uh, there is a word that you see often in Scripture, and it's the word path. Uh, that, that, that word, is, it'd be interesting to take a concordance and see how many times it shows up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it's everywhere. Uh, I just did a quick little study of the word path uh, in Psalms, and let me give you some verses. And the reason I'm mentioning this concept of a path is that, um, you know, when you, when you study American history, uh, you come across in American history the significance of certain trails. Trails, uh, trails were the interstate system before there was an interstate system. The interstate system is a series of, of trails, <laughs> is what it is. Uh, when... Uh, General Eisenhower was fighting Germany. He was aware of the system of trails they had to move vehicles. It was called the Autobahn. And that never left him. And when he became president, he was the one who said, we need an interstate system. And that's why we have the one that we have. Uh, the interstate system is just a system of paths or trails. Um, to me, we read in Scripture of the path, but a path is also a trail. A path is a trail, it is a way, it is a road. There are different synonyms. Uh, but it's, it's, it's alluded to constantly in Scripture. For instance, Psalm 1-1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. There is a path that we are to avoid. Uh, here's another one, Psalm 16-11. <clears throat> the psalmist says, you will make known to me the path of life. Have you ever asked God to lead you? Have you ever asked God to show you his will? Well, he says here that you will make known to me the path of life, or you will make known to me, make known to me the, trail of, of, the trail of life. Uh, this isn't down here, but it pops into my head. Psalm, I think it's 142.3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. There are times when we hit a rough stretch, we get overwhelmed, we, we have circumstance upon circumstance. Uh, sometimes trials and afflictions come not just one, they come in twos and threes. Amazing how that happens. More often than not, they seem to come in threes. At least that's been my observation personally. 
somewhere the psalmist says, all thy waves have rolled over me. And that happens in life sometimes. And when one wave knocks you down and you just barely get up and get your breath, another one comes and knocks you down. See, there are times we get overwhelmed. And you're just trying to make it. You're just trying to make it through the day. That's 142, verse 3 of Psalms. When my spirit was overwhelmed, when I was about to go down, you knew my path. You knew my trail. There are times we're not sure we're going to make it through the week or through the day. But see, he's my shepherd. Um, Psalm 27, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. Lead me in a level trail. Uh, years ago, I heard someone make the statement that as they were getting older in life, the highs were not as high as they used to be, and the lows were not as low as they used to be. I thought that was pretty good. Because you see... Um, <laughs> we want the highs, but the highs are overrated. And after you've had some for some decades, you thank God for them. But, you know, you always got to come down from the, from the mountain. So the highs are not as high as they used to be, and the lows are not as low as they used to be. And that's a good thing. In other words, what he was saying is, I'm learning as I get older in life, I'm learning to let kind of just trust the Lord to level my life out. That's what this... Psalm is saying here, um, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level trail. Lead me in a level path. It's up and down. We have the ups and downs. But the more I know him, the more I walk with him, the more I see his faithfulness, I can stay more level even as things are up and down because of my trust in him. See, I trust him. I know him. I can count on him. Is it Psalm, I think it's Psalm 31. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say that you are my God. My times are in your hand. The highs, the lows. You're the great leveler of my life. Okay. These are all psalms. I love the psalms. Uh, psalm 36, 1 through 4. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. Ah, so there's a path that's not good. There's a trail that is not good. We're going to see that in a minute. By the way, we all used to be on that path. We all start on that path. And except for the grace of God, we'd still be on it. Psalm 119, verse 34. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Or make me walk in the trail of your commandments. For I delight in it. Here's another one out of Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, very familiar verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is thy word? That's why we do Bible study. 
I, I got a little, uh, you got your phone? I got mine, so I left, it in, I left it in the car on purpose, but I got that little app, and maybe the app I use more on that phone than any other besides the phone is the flashlight. <laughs> I don't know how I got along my whole life without a flashlight on me at all times. I use that thing all the time. Don't you? I'm always hitting that flashlight. Well, as I go through life, as I'm on the trail of life, I find myself a lot of times in the dark. So what? here's my app. Here's the app. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my trail. Or where do I go next? Right here. This is the app of apps. This is the one you never want to be without. When you hit hard times... We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pull one out of Job. Job hit hard times. You'll hit hard times. Some of you there right now. In Job 23.11, he says, My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. Even when it's hard, you stay on the path. Solomon had some things to say about the path. He had quite a bit to say about the path. In Proverbs 4.14, he said, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Turn from it, turn away from it, and pass on. So once again, there's a wrong path, there's a wrong trail. Avoid it. Don't step onto it. We used to be there, we're not anymore. Uh, Here's another one, Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. As you follow Christ, you know what's interesting? As you are following Christ... There are others who are watching you and following you. As a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, you start getting serious about Christ, you're influencing others, and you may not even be aware that they're watching, but they're watching. And as you follow the right shepherd on the right path, that's light to those who are behind you. Proverbs 4.26, Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. We've we got to watch where we're going. We've got to watch where we're walking. Uh, Proverbs ten seventeen. He who is on the trail of life, he who is on the path of life. Uh, let me back up. I didn't read that correctly. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction. What instruction? God's instruction. There's a lot more, but you see the point. The path is important. Every guy in this room is on a path. We're at different locations on the path, but we're all on a path. Uh, The best-selling book of all time is the Bible. The second best-selling book of all time is Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan 300 years ago. Uh, John Bunyan wrote this allegory called Pilgrim's Progress. It, It still sells remarkably well. It's worth reading. Great allegory. You can get it in modern English. It's about a guy named Christian who's on a path, who's going to a celestial city. He's going somewhere. So are we. The secular man, the modern man, believes, watch this, that this is the only world that there is. That explains so much of what we see happening uh, in politics. It explains so much of what we see happening in the world. 
uh, the events in business. So much of what we see going around us is because of what people believe in their heart, and the secular man believes this world is the only world that there is. But the Christian gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that this is not the only world that there is. John 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We're going somewhere on this trail, and it doesn't end in this world. There is another world that's being prepared. That's either true or it isn't. What you believe about that determines the path that you will walk on while you're breathing on this earth. Every man in this room is walking the trail of life right now. And every man in this room will wind up in a cemetery. Just thought I'd encourage you. Uh, cemeteries are interesting places. You, you, you know, uh, you see the grave markers, you see the headstones. I, I think, I, I'm almost sure it was Howard Hendricks who told the story of being uh, preaching in New England somewhere, Massachusetts, Vermont, was it some old church, old, old church, and these old headstones out there from the 1700s. And, uh, you know, some of them have, have inscriptions. It, it obviously has the, the, the name of the person, their date of birth, their date of death. And then some of them have, have inscriptions. He said he walked through the cemetery, and the one inscription he'll never forget, it simply said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> I wasn't kidding, man. I was sick. <laughs> well, we're all going to get sick. Something's going to get us, you see. Something's going to get you. Yeah, you're walking the trail of life right now, but you're going to wind up in some kind of cemetery. Interesting, isn't it? There'll be some kind of headstone. Your name will be on it. And on that uh, headstone will be uh, your name, and then there will be the date of your birth, and then there will be a a hyphen, and then it, that will be followed by the date of your death. That's where we're going, every one of us in this room. It's unavoidable. Headstones and cemeteries, you know what they are? They're stone summaries of a man's life. You think about that for a second. That headstone, what is it? It's just a stone summary of your life. That's it. Your name, your date of birth, a hyphen, and then your date of death. What's interesting is the hyphen is really what's important. The hyphen is the story. The hyphen, which is silent, has all the stuff. Uh, the date of birth is when you got on the trail. The date of death is when you got off the trail. 
but the hyphen contains your whole life. 40 years, 50 years, 80, whatever you get, your whole life is in that hyphen. The hyphen between your date of birth and your date of death is your path. The hyphen is your trail. And you've got one. There is a purpose to your life. There is a purpose to your existence. There is a purpose to the fact that you were born. And there is purpose even to the moment of your death. And if you believe the Christian gospel beyond your death because of Christ, there is a purpose. There is a plan. Acts 13.36. You might flip over there real quickly. Interesting verse, just kind of tucked away. It speaks of David. We're going to be talking a lot tonight about David. Whenever you talk about the Psalms, inevitably you find yourself talking about David because of the 150 Psalms, he wrote half of them. In Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. That's David's story. It's going to be our story. That's just pregnant with truth. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. That was it. See, we've said this before. You can't die until your work is done. You can't die until your purpose is served that God has ordained. But when it's served, when it's accomplished, you're done. It's, you're, you're out of here. So, you're on this trail for now. I, I want us to consider tonight this trail of life that we're on. Uh, some of us are, uh, are just getting started on the trail as men. Some of you are teenagers or in your 20s. What's going on in your 20s? Well, I remember years ago reading in a book that there are two issues in the 20s. The two issues of the 20s, number one, what am I going to do? What kind of work am I going to do? So if you're in your 20s, you spend some time on that. What am I going to do with my life? What kind of work do I want to do? I don't want to be bored my whole life. What do I want to do? So you figure that out. The second issue, the 20s, is who, who am I going to marry? You see? Now, in our day and age right now, it would not be who am I going to marry, it's who am I going to live with. But let me, give you, let me give you a tip, you young guys. You don't live with her, marry her. You commit. Because you need structure. And God has ordained marriage for a man and a woman. By the way, God owns marriage. A lot of different, you can read a lot of different stuff on marriage today. You can hear a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions. Let me just say this because it'll make me feel better. <laughs> God invented marriage. God owns marriage. God holds the copyright on marriage. He holds the trademark on marriage. Marriage is his. Don't ever forget that. Um, maybe that's where you are as you're in your 20s. So you're kind of just getting going on this trail uh, some of you guys are in your 30s, and you can't believe you're in your 30s because not too long ago you were in your 20s and you were just a young buck. 
But now you're married and uh, you got mortgages and uh, you got uh, bills and you got kids and uh, you can't get a moment's peace and uh, and and you got all this uh, you got all this outflow and very little inflow, and so you stay up at night and you can't sleep and you're exhausted all the time. It's great being a man. <laughs> got pains in your chest and you're 32 years old. Get used to it. You're bearing the weight of responsibility. But you won't always be in your 30s. Before you know it, you'll be 40. That's called midlife. That means you're half dead. <laughs> I mean, you can't believe you were 40. You were just 25, but now you're 40, 40-something, man. It's unbelievable. And then you're 50. 50? You just got used to being 40. And now you're 50. And, you know, somewhere in there you think about leasing a sports car because you don't need an SUV anymore. The kids are gone, and... You, at least a red Mazda Miata, and you take a test drive, and then you can't even get out of it. <laughs> because you didn't take your glucosamine, and your, your joints won't move. Because <laughs> you're, what are you, late 40s, 50? It happens, it happens. Then you hit 60. You can't believe you're 60. But you are. I'm trying to sign up for Medicare because I hit 65. I'm trying to do it on a website, and for some reason, it's, I'm having trouble. That's all I'll say, but... I can't believe I'm... I can't believe I'm signing up for Medicare. My grandparents were in Medicare. But then again, I was with my grandkids the last two days, so I guess that shouldn't shock me, should it? I'm just moving down the trail of life. So are you. 70, 80. Turn with me, if you would, to... Uh, let's get in. Let's make some observations about this trail that we're on to give us perspective. And it do, Because, you see, it doesn't matter where you are on the trail. Let me say this. It doesn't matter where you are on the trail. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or if you're 45 or if you're 65 or 85. Can I say this to you? You've got a back trail. You've had some experiences. But where you are today, this stretch of trail, you have never been on before. This is brand new trail to you. Is it not? Absolutely it is. The scripture speaks to that. We'll get to it in a moment. I want to make um, at least three observations tonight about the trail. Um, We've already seen the scripture has a lot to say about the path of life, about the trail of life. The first observation I would make as we jump into this study is that there are two trails in life. You've already alluded to this. Uh, this is according to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, and you may want to turn there with me. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus talked very specifically about the two trails. Verse 13, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Now let's back up, because he uses the word way. Uh, we've been talking about a path. What's a path? Well, I've said it's kind of a trail. But you know, a path is also a, a way. These are all synonyms, aren't they? 
um, what's a path? It's, it's, it's a way, it's a trail, it's a, it's a road. In American history, as I said earlier, we have all these trails you can study about. The Chisholm Trail is not too far away from here. There's a lot of history wrapped up in the Chisholm Trail. An economy was tied up with the Chisholm Trail. A lot of history in Texas is tied up to the Chisholm Trail. Uh, there's an Oregon Trail. Uh, certain places in eastern Oregon, you can still see the ruts from the wagons of the settlers. You can still see the graves where they were buried on the way to Oregon. Not all of them made it. But you see, if you were going to go to Oregon and you'd never been there before, there is real wisdom in getting on the Oregon Trail instead of figuring out your own trail all by yourself because, you see, the Oregon Trail was a marked trail. It had been marked by those who had gone before and reached the destination. Not all of them made it. Some of them died on the way. But the ones who made it marked the trail. And if you stay on a marked trail, when you need to find water, there's going to be a water hole. You get off on your own, you're in trouble. Appalachian Trail. All these famous trails. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is broad, watch this, that leads to destruction. So there is a gate that you don't want to go down. There is a path you don't want to go down because the end of it, at the end of your life, if you walk this path, you're going to wind up in destruction. He says, there are many who enter through it. Verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Interesting. We all start off on the broad road. Um, when you have kids and your kids are going through school and get into middle school and high school and all that, one of the things we do as good dads, we uh, want to equip our kids to withstand peer pressure. Why is that? Because you know as a father that your kids, most of their friends are on the wrong road, on the wrong path, going the wrong direction. So you try to teach them to withstand peer pressure and listen to the wisdom that you are teaching them from your life and from your experience. Makes sense. But is it not interesting that peer pressure doesn't go away when you get out of high school and it doesn't go away when you get out of college? Peer pressure is with you your whole life. And your whole life, your peers, the majority of them, are on the wrong road headed the wrong direction, headed to destruction. That's where we were. Except Christ reached out and grabbed us and pulled us to himself and we heard the gospel. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, but he made us alive. We heard the gospel, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not good works to be saved. You were saved by grace in verse 8. We were, 
created, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, work, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. See, he got us off the wrong trail and put us on the right trail. But know this, when you follow Christ, when you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I want you to be my Savior. Uh, I turn from my old path. Um, there's this concept in the Scriptures called repentance. Repentance means you're going in one direction, and I, when I think of repentance, I always think of you turn. As long as you're alive, you can always make a U-turn. If you're on the wrong path, it doesn't matter how long you've been on it. You can always make a U-turn to Jesus. It's never too late. You're on the wrong path. Man, Steve, I've been on this path for 60 years. Then, then get off it. Why don't you turn to Christ, who offers forgiveness, complete and total forgiveness of sin? Your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He doesn't reward us according to our iniquities. It's pure, unadulterated grace. The gospel is offered. You've been on that wrong trail? <laughs> you turn in your mind and quit following yourself in this foolishness and turn to Christ and say, I believe in you. I believe you're the Savior. And then just say, Jesus, be my shepherd. Because the Psalms say, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Jesus, I don't want to be my shepherd. I want you to be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He, uh, look at Psalm 23 here real quick. Let me show you this. I hadn't planned on this, but about half of what I teach I hadn't planned on. It just kind of comes to mind sometimes. Look, look at this. The Lord is my shepherd. He hasn't always been our shepherd, but when he comes into our life, we want him to be our shepherd. We trust in him alone. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means that the, 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 the needs of my life, he's got me covered. He's got me sovereignly covered. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You say, but Steve, there's something that's good that I don't have. Then it's not a good thing for you right now. Doesn't mean it's not good. It just means for you it's not a good thing. In the future, it might be given to you because in the future you'll be able to handle it. But right now, if you're lacking a good thing, it's because it's not good for you. Am I making any sense? You've done that with your kids. You've withheld a good thing for them because they weren't ready for it. Why would the wise father, the great father, not do that with us? You see. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, he's running my life. Sometimes he tells me to lay down. I don't want to lay down. Sometimes we have heart attacks. You ever talk to a guy who's had a heart attack a year after he's had it, and you hear him say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me? Would he have chosen it? No. But if you learn from it, it can save your life. Right? He leads me beside quiet waters. And sometimes, sometimes these quiet waters are very turbulent. It's kind of an oxymoron. But you see, it's interesting. Sometimes he'll lead me through great stresses, as we're going to see in a minute. But in the midst of the stresses, I learn to trust in him. I learn to trust. 
He whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah 26, 3. He whose mind is stayed on thee, thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. See, that's level ground. It's level ground. I can enjoy stilled waters even when the waters are fomenting because my trust is in him who owns the waters. That's the Red Sea story. That's crossing the Jordan story. Okay. He restores my soul. He, watch this. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, when I follow Christ, we're talking about the trail of life, the path of life. Jesus said there are two trails. There is the broad road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Chuck was talking about repentance this past Sunday. It's a change of mind. You're on one trail, you hear the gospel, and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want to follow you. In fact, I want you to be my shepherd. I don't want to shepherd my life anymore. I just, it's, I'm, I'm one big train wreck. I want the Lord to be my shepherd. I want to follow you. And when you follow, look at this. You, he, he, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's a marked trail. You follow him. You get as close to him as you possibly can get. And he just starts navigating you through life. So there are two trails. One trail leads to destruction. Jesus talked about heaven and Jesus talked about hell. If he believed in heaven and he believed in hell, I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. And I am thankful that he gave his life so that I could be rescued from hell, and live in eternity in heaven forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He's the redeemer. He's the savior. I find it interesting that the broad road, which most people are on, leads to destruction. How sad. How tragic. Um, I came across an article recently about Jack Nicholson. Um, from a Canadian newspaper. Um, it's a picture of Jack Nicholson sitting in a church pew by himself. Uh, the caption says uh, that photo was taken at the, just prior to the uh, funeral of Senator Ted Kennedy, and he was in attendance. The caption on the story, the headline on the story, from this Canadian newspaper says, in fact, uh, it just, just the last couple of days, January 13th, lonely Jack Nicholson yearning, comma, still wild at heart and would love that one last romance. Can I read just a tad to you? He always had an eye for the ladies, but now Jack Nicholson has admitted to being lonely as he faces dying with nobody by his side. Is that not sad? In an interview with an American magazine, Nicholson, now 77, spoke about how his hell-raising and philandering had left him without someone to take care of him in his old age. The Oscar winner said he could not raise himself out of bed before 1 p.m. And he has a glass of milk to soothe his stomach before going out and playing golf. That's his life. And going to Laker games. 
The star of Easy Rider and other movies said that he still yearns to be with somebody but believes that's not very realistic. Nicholson, who won a Best Actor Oscar in 75, also lamented that he could not chat up women in public anymore as it just doesn't feel right at my age, although that's what he's in his whole life. He goes on and says, I would love that one last romance, but I'm not very realistic about it happening. What I can't deny, Nicholson said, what I can't deny is my yearning. I'm definitely still wild at heart, but I have struck biogravity. Catch this. I have had everything a man could ask for, but no one could say I'm successful with the affairs of the heart. He's lonely. He's isolated. Now Nicholson conceals his days of dating are over, and he prefers to stay in and watch a movie. I got tired of arguing with women about going to dinner, he said. The food's better at my house. <laughs> a source added, he's afraid of dying alone in that house, referring to his mansion that his children want him to sell. They've been encouraging him to downsize and move into a more manageable place in Beverly Hills, but he loves his old place in the Hollywood Hills. The clock's ticking. The clock is ticking um, for all of us. The, 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 that, that path that is so popular, that path that the world loves, the path that is covered on television, and uh, the, path, the path that he's on, there are networks, and all they do is cover the path of people like this. And we read their lives, and we read about what they do, and we read about all this, and so many, so many of us, especially in our youth, think, oh, that's, man, I wish my life was like that. But see, the end is destruction. Allow me to make a, a second observation about the trail. So there are two trails. That's our first one. Jesus made that clear. Uh, by the way, when you start following Christ, know this. You're, from now on, you start following Jesus, you're swimming upstream. You're not going downstream. This is a tough trail. It's a hard trail. But it's the best trail, you see. Uh, Jesus said about following him, he said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Don't you love that verse? You probably want that on your refrigerator, don't you? But see, that's not all he said. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, why are you going to have tribulation? Because it's not popular to follow him. Have you noticed now in this culture there's room for just about every viewpoint and every teaching and every idea and this liberty and this freedom and this freedom, <laughs> except the freedom to follow him. You see? The freedom to speak his word, the freedom to believe his word. You've noticed it. Observation number two tonight. Wise men consider the end of their trail. Let's 
turn to Psalm 90. Now, David did not write Psalm 90, although he wrote half of the Psalms. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. We normally wouldn't associate Moses with the Psalms, but Psalm 90, he's the author of. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We're all connected, you see. Uh, you had a father, you had a grandfather, you had a great-grandfather. Uh, great-grandfather's probably gone. Great-great-grandfather you probably never knew. Isn't it amazing it doesn't take just three or four generations and you're forgotten? Isn't that interesting? That's how it is. That's how it works. Do you know anything about your great-great-grandfather? Don't even know his name, probably, unless you're on Ancestry.com, which is kind of a fascinating deal. But you don't know much about that gentleman. Although he lived, he had a trail, he was, he was significant in your life. Raised your grandfather, then your father was a result of his leadership, and all day, here you are. Your kids are the result of things being passed on. Okay. What is it that Moses says? Get perspective here with me. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. All generations dwell within God because God is the creator of life. He spoke life into existence. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We, all people are created. He is uncreated. He has always been. Always. That's our God. That's our Savior. That's Christ. Amazing, isn't it? Puts our lives in perspective. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born of a virgin. <laughs> He's the everlasting God. He's always been. Always been. The woman who bore him, he created. The star that they followed, he created and spoke into existence. Through him, he made the worlds, Hebrews 1 says. This is our God. Now let's talk about us. Look verse 10. Please, look at verse 10. Moses says, it's for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. If you're blessed with health, you take your vitamin E, you might get 80. You might get a little more than that. You may get a little less. That's in the hand of God. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. In other words, you work your tail off, you get exhausted, you get fatigued, you get old, and you die. Once again, how else can I encourage you? <laughs> and and, and uh, Solomon talks about that in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes deals with that issue. So what do you do? You live life with the woman you love? You work hard with your hands? Psalm 127, 128, you got your kids and your grandkids, they come over at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you have dinner together, you're a blessed man. You're a blessed man on this earth. You say, oh man, that's pretty boring. That's called faithful. That's called ordinary. Well, I want to be extraordinary. Well, you're not. <laughs> and neither am I. We're just average guys. Abraham Lincoln said God must love average men. He made so many of them. We're average men leading average lives, but they're significant lives. 
Because each of us, as we follow Christ, we're leaving a trail for those who are coming behind, which I can't get into right now. But that's Psalm 78. Okay. There's so much stuff in here. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. If due to strength, 80 years. Their pride is but labor and sorrow. Watch this. Soon it is gone. We fly away. Is it not true? The older we get, the faster it's going by. It's flying by. It's incredible. The speed, it picks up speed. The older you get, the faster it gets. Soon it is gone and we fly away. Look at verse 12. In light of this fact that life is fleeting, look at this. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. I love that. Because you see, the fact of the matter is, wherever I am on the trail, if I'm 20, I've never been 20 before. I've been 18, I've been 16, I know what that whole thing's about, but I've never been 20. If I'm 40, I've never been 40. So what do I need as I'm at this particular point in my life today? What do I need from God? I need wisdom because I've never been on this stretch before. I don't know what this trail looks like right here. So I need the wisdom of Almighty God. You see, here's the thing about the two trails. You follow the trail of Christ. That's the trail of wisdom. But you follow the broad road that leads to destruction. That's how you get a wasted life. A wasted life. You don't want a wasted life. You want a life of wisdom. So teach us, in light of the fact that my life is going by so cotton-picking fast, so teach me to number my days, the days I've got left, that I may present to you a heart of wisdom. Help me to live wisely. This is what you want. Flip over to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. Note, if you would... Uh, same idea in verse 4. Look at this. Lord, make me to know my end. There is great value. Most men don't want to think about the end of life. Other than doing a little financial planning and getting a life insurance policy. You need to spend more time doing what Psalm 39, 4. I need to spend more. Lord, Make me to know my end. This thing is not going to last forever. I need to think about the end of this trail. Because if I'm on the wrong trail, it's destruction. I don't want destruction. I want my life to count. I want your favor. Uh, Look at this. Lord, make me to know my end. Think about your life and what trail you're on and where you're going. And let me know what is the extent of my days and how transient I am. He goes on and says, Behold, you have made my, my days as hand breaths. That, 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 was, that was like four fingers, like 2.9 inches. My, my life was just brief. It's just a wisp. It's just a wisp of 60, 70, 80, 90 years I might get. It's just, it's gone. Ask your great-great-grandfather. 
It's all, it, it went by so fast. Uh, he says, and my lifetime has nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Boy, there's an encouraging thought. <clears throat> Verse 7, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. There's your hope. See, that's perspective. When you hope in the one who owns it all and made it all and created it all and has a plan for it all and who controls it all, you've got hope. You've got great hope. And you've got a great future. Lord, make me to know my end. Where am I going? Where will I be at 77? Because it's coming. See, the fact is, life is brief, and the end is right around the corner. I don't care if you're 15. It's coming fast. Observation number three. You guys still with me? Yeah. I just thought we'd start light as we jump into this study. But isn't this, isn't this good? We're just reading Scripture. This is the wisdom of God. This just cuts through all the nonsense, does it not? My life is in His hands. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. My life is not without meaning. My life has significance. I don't have to be famous to have significance. I don't have to be some kind of celebrity. I just love the Lord God. I thank Him for His mercy and grace that He forgives me of my sin for my, for my wife, for my kids, for my job, for the health that I enjoy. I just, I, I'm just a blessed man. Are you not blessed? The favor of God in your life, you see? Well, I'm kind of worried about this and this. Yeah, I, I know, I am too, but... We got our eyes in the wrong place. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He didn't say, don't ever think about it. He said, just don't worry about it. Why? Because he owns tomorrow. Well, but I'm, you know, I got this thing come up in July. He owns July. Doesn't he? That hurt. <laughs> Just saying. Third observation. The Lord Jesus is in charge of your entire trail. Uh, now remember, we, we read that in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. He's in charge of your entire trail and the entire trail of the entire human race. From Adam and Eve on down. And as you know, Adam and Eve didn't really exist. They did exist. Romans 5, if Adam didn't exist, the first Adam, then what Jesus did as the second Adam was foolishness. I don't have time to get into that, but I'm telling you, you'll meet Adam and Eve in heaven. You'll meet them. Okay, I can't get off on that rabbit trail. 
But you see, the Lord Jesus is in charge of your entire trail. Not only your entire trail, your entire genealogy of your family, their trail, and the genealogy of the entire human race. Let me just go back real quick and show that to you in Psalm 90. Verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. We all dwell within him. Acts 17, in him we live and move and exist. Okay. So he owns your entire trail. Now, we want to go to Psalm 71 in the 8 minutes and 27 seconds that I have remaining. Okay? Psalm 71. Talking about the trail. Verse 5, he says, For you are my hope. Huh. Uh, here, let me tell you what's going to happen in Psalm 71. Why are we going to Psalm 71? Because in Psalm 71, as, as we're here tonight... This is true for every one of us. you got a back trail, okay? This is what's happened in your life up until now. you got your back trail. You look back over your life, and it's what's on your uh, headstone when you die, your, your date of birth, okay? That's your back trail. So you got your back trail. Then you got where you are in the present. you got your present trail. Then you got your future trail. You got all three things in your trail, as you're here tonight and as I'm here tonight. Now, Psalm 71, he's going to deal with all three pieces of his trail. And don't forget, the principle is the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of your entire trail. Back trail, present trail, future trail. Watch this. 71 of Psalms 5. You are my hope. O oh God, you are my confidence from my youth. You know what he's doing in 5 and 6? He's talking back trail. Uh, you are my confidence from my youth. In other words, I look back over my life, and I see your grace in my life, even as a young man. Uh, there was a point where you brought me to know you. There was a point where I heard the gospel. I might have had Christian parents or Christian grandparents who prayed for me. Even when I was away from the Lord and a prodigal, and I had no interest in the things of God, and, and I, I did some stupid things, and I made some dumb decisions, and I was running with the wrong people, and I was going down a crazy path to destruction, and I should have been dead. But see, you're not dead. Psalm 68, 8, to the Lord belongs escapes from death. Because see, you didn't die, and you should have died, but he wasn't done with you. So you're here tonight. But see, you look back over your trail. What does he say? Lord, you, you are my confidence from my youth. You look back over your life and you see the goodness of God. All the dumb, stupid things we did. Right? You talk about a bunch of idiots. And we're still alive. And he was so kind and so gracious and so forgiving. We got, I got stuff in my closet I'm ashamed of. You got stuff in your closet from back then you're ashamed of. Jesus knows it all. He died for it. He's forgiven it. He's forgotten it. Gosh. This is the greatest stuff in the world. Is it not? Look at verse 6. By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. That's just as he looks at his back trail. 
you've been so good to me. The grace of God is over my back trail. Okay, but now I'm in the present. He says in verse 7, I have become a marvel to many. Now, we don't know the author of this psalm. It, it, it is not attributed to David. But whoever this gentleman is, as he looks at his life and where he is in life, many marvel at the favor and blessing of God upon his life, where he stands in the present. Now, it doesn't mean that he's pain-free, and it doesn't mean that he has adversity. I'll show you that in a minute. But he marvels at the goodness of God in his life. Do you not marvel at the goodness of God in your life where you are right now? Doesn't mean you're pain-free. Doesn't mean you're free of adversity, because you've got both. You've got the blessing of God, and you've got adversity. But has not God been so good? Amazing grace. Amazing. I, I, I got to tell you something. Sunday morning, I was sitting back there, one of those usher chairs, and before, and just as we were, the worship songs about the grace of God. Some of those songs, a couple of songs I never heard before in my life, and I'm reading them on the screen and I'm singing them, and I got choked up. I couldn't sing. I just that the goodness of God in my life as I was sitting back there on Sunday morning. I got choked up. I couldn't even sing. I was overwhelmed with the goodness of God in my, on my present trail. Now, have I got stuff I wish wasn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. There's a reason it's there. Now, he's going to start in verse 9. He's going to start talking about his future trail. Watch this. <laughs> Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Because you see, it's starting to creep up on him. You know? He didn't quite have the hand-eye coordination he used to have. Yeah. He got out of bed and pulled the hamstring. <laughs> you get miles on the tires. And, you know, you, all of a sudden you kind of realize, you know what? I'm getting a little old. Christmas Day, my kids got me a, uh, a phonograph. I didn't even know what to call it. I haven't seen one in so long. Uh, a record player. They got me a record player. I couldn't believe it. And then they gave me all these records. Uh, the Beach Boys, Rachel found the, the Beach Boys, the old classic album. She found two of them. Uh, the Beatles. Because I love the old hymns of the faith. Um, and so we're, so anyway, we're opening the presents, then we put on, and then my daughter-in-law, Christina, she, she opened it up and put the record down, and, she, and she'd never seen one. And she took the arm, and she put it, she took that 33, and she put it in the middle. <laughs> she didn't, she'd never seen it. And I said, no, 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 Christina goes right in the end. You go, oh, she'd never seen it. And so then, we're just kind of, you know, help me, Rhonda, help, help me, Rhonda. <laughs> bow, bow, bow. Let's stand and sing that together. <laughs> She loves you, yeah, yeah. So I went over to Rachel, who is an unbelievable dancer, and I'm not much. But uh, I went over to Rachel, and so I started dancing with her, and we were dancing for a minute or two, and she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, Dad, you remind me of Papa. You're getting, and then she stopped. <laughs> it was class. But she was saying, she said, she, she stopped, she goes, 
you're, you're, Dad, you're old like Papa. And I said, yes, I'm trying to enroll in Medicare. It was, it was so cute. It, she just stopped. Because, and, and I got to tell you something. We'd had some family pictures done, and when they came back in, I looked at them, and I thought, I look like my dad. I'm getting old. Older, you see. I can relate to this. Do not cast me off in times of old age. Why? Because it's coming. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Guess what's going to happen? My strength's going to fail. So is yours. Uh, look at verse 18. Even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me. Huh. You see the fear of the future? It's always with us. We're breaking down. You're dealing with stuff you, didn't deal, you haven't had to deal with before, and now you're having to deal with it. And see, there's fear of the future. Because you can't see what's out there. Can I give you a great verse about the future? The promise of God, Isaiah 46, 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and you remnant of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and carried from the womb. Deuteronomy, God said, I carried you like a father carried his little boy. But back to Isaiah 46, 3. You who have been born by me from birth and carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your grain years, I will bear you. I have borne you. I have carried you. I will bear you, and I will carry you. That's the word of God for our future. Is that not great or what? Well, I'm out of time, and I'm going five more minutes. Because you got to look at verse 20. Because now, in verse 20, he goes back to his present situation, and he says this, You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. Is it not true that where you are in life, you've had many troubles and you've had many distresses? Yeah, you have. And can I say this to you? You're a better man because of your troubles and your distresses. Because our troubles and distresses, what they do is they deepen us. They get us out of immaturity to maturity. None of us want them. None of us desire adversity. But through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Why? Uh, that's Philippians 1.29. That's how God matures a man on the trail of life. If all you have is an easy, affluent, pain-free, uh, financially secure future, all your relationships intact, everything in your life is just pristine, you're a spiritual midget. Because you've never suffered, and if you've never suffered, you never become mature, and there's no depth in your life because you've had an easy life. You're a spoiled brat. And God doesn't want spoiled kids any more than we want them. So he allows us to go through hardship, which is why we're going to Psalm 77 in the time that I don't have. Because there are times when the stresses are more intense than other times, and you will experience some of this. Look at the guy in Psalm 77. Verse 2, In the day of trouble I sought the Lord, in the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, this is interesting. 
My soul refused to be comforted. There will be, this isn't constant in the Christian life, but there, you will have a season or two in your life where what will happen is God will take you in a season where he's going to do a deep work in your life. And I'm going to tell you something, this is painful. <laughs> if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you can relate to Psalm 77. Your, your soul refuses to be comforted. You cannot find any comfort. In fact, when you remember God, look at the next verse. When I remember God, I'm disturbed. Where is the goodness of God? Where's the kindness of God? Where is the mercy of God? Why has God allowed all of this to come? It might be the death of a spouse or the death of a child or a handicapped child that's been born to you and you're just not ready for this and it's overwhelming or it could be a thousand different things. But what it does is, see, it's a kind of experience and here's what it does. It crushes you. It absolutely crushes you. This is a crushed man. Watch this. You have held, when I sigh, my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. The guy can't even sleep at night. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. Some of you guys have been here. Huh. It, and, and, and when you're in it, you say, dear God, get me out of this. But I'll tell you something. There are lessons to be learned here that you learn nowhere else. David had been there. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. <laughs> See, here's the deal. I, I think, I, I think here's, here's the real fear in, in, in the hearts of men. In all honesty, you know what our greatest fear is? Is that our, our lives will be meaningless. There'll be no meaning in our lives. That's why guys, well, you know, they'll try to make this money and this money. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family, a good life and all that. You know that. But when it gets out of control and, and, you're, and you're, you know, I want this and I want to have this and this because you think that's meaning. But Nicholson had it all. He's having a lot of trouble with meaning in his life. He just, he needs to find Jesus Christ. You see, that could be us except for the grace of God. You don't, want to leave, you don't want to live a life that's meaningless. So let me tell you how God works. God will afflict us, and he will allow us to suffer at times excessively. He will crush us. But I'm going to tell you something. If you have ever asked God to use you, there's nothing like being used by God in the life of someone else. No one else may see it, but you see it. Usually when God uses a man, he uses a man because the man has been broken. The man has been crushed. Know this, if you have a desire to be used by God, your life will not be meaningless, but you will suffer. And it'll be worth it to be used by God. I learned a verse in my early 30s in a time of tremendous Depression. I thought Mary was going to die. I thought our unborn child, Josh, was going to die. I remember one night, just, it was a living hell. <laughs> I, I, I was in deep despair. It was during that time I came across Psalm 34, 18. He is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're crushed, 
He's crushing for a reason. And he will save you. He has not forgotten you. He is not doing this without a reason. You can't see it. So can I say this to you? I don't know where you are on the trail, but if this is where you are, just submit to him. Say, Jesus, I don't get it, but I'm all in. And would you bring good out of this? I trust you with my life. Help me to learn these lessons. And then use me. And then watch him do it. Watch him do it. You will not live a life lacking meaning. And by the way, the suffering, it's momentary. And it's light affliction. Because this trail is a wisp. And then we die. And we're with him forever. Are we blessed men or what? So Father, we thank you for the truth of the trail. Encourage us in our brokenness. Encourage us in our crushings that there's a reason for it. We, we don't have to understand it. <laughs> we don't have to understand it right now except that you're near to the brokenhearted and you save those. You're not far away, you're near. And you save those who are crushed. Thank you. Save us. Save us. Redeem us. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen.